Please be seated. This evening, we turn in God's Word to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. Make up the passage for this evening's reading. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, found on page 790. Here is the word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. I invite you, secondly, to turn with me to the Canons of Dort. The Canons of Dort. We turn to Article 7, found on page 260 in the Forms and Prayers book. It's also found in the back of our Psalter hymnal, if you'd like to look there. Article 7 comes with the title, Election, which is also the title of this afternoon's, this evening's message. And there we read, Election, or choosing, is God's unchangeable purpose by which he did the following. Before the foundation of the world, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, he chose in Christ to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race, which had fallen by its own fault from its original innocence into sin and ruin. Those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than the other, but lay with them in the common misery. He did this in Christ, whom he also appointed from eternity to be the mediator, the head of all the chosen, and the foundation of their salvation. And so he decided to give the chosen ones to Christ to be saved and to call and draw them effectively into Christ's fellowship through his word and spirit. 
In other words, he decided to grant them true faith in Christ, to justify them, to sanctify them, and finally, after powerfully preserving them in the fellowship of his Son, to glorify them. God did all this in order to demonstrate his mercy, to the praise of the riches of his grace, as Scripture says. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him with love. He predestined us whom he adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace by which he freely made us pleasing to him in his beloved. And elsewhere, those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those, he just, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, dear friends, dear family, dear loved ones, in a world that chose the knowledge of good and evil over obedience, in a world that chose to be like God, knowing good and evil, Genesis 3, verse 5, rather than to obey him. The idea of returning to that, that state of innocence, some have called it, became impossible. Just look at Adam and Eve post-fall. They didn't go looking for God with repentant hearts. Seeking his forgiveness, willing to receive the punishment due their transgressions. They heard him calling out, and they hid. Genesis 3 8. And then they proceeded to blame not themselves, but God for even allowing a free will that could choose against him. The greatest offense of Adam was not blaming the woman at Genesis 3, verse 12, but in what follows right after those words. The woman whom you gave me. In one statement, we have what knowing good and evil looks like for, the humani for humanity, and it sums up humanity's ability to come back to God on their own. I tell you, it is impossible. Now, when you speak a gospel-centered conversation with anyone, you don't begin with election. You, be, you begin here. You begin with humanity's inability and unwillingness to come back to God, and then you can move on to the fact that God saves anyways. But how? If there is so much misery in us, why? In view of the brokenness of this place, when? If we are fallen, if there is no one righteous, no, not one, Psalm 14, as quoted by Paul at Romans 3, who, having known your sins and misery, does election provide the answers? Well, such shall be the burden of this evening's message. The, the doctrine of election has been singled out for us in our confession under the magisterial authority of God's word found from Romans 8. Let us learn more about the God who elects through the person and work of his son in spite of humanity's electing otherwise. 
Our theme is short this morning, this evening, sorry. I am elected through Jesus Christ, firstly, by sheer grace, secondly, out of common misery, and then thirdly, to demonstrate God's mercy. You are elected through Jesus Christ by sheer grace, out of common misery, and to demonstrate the mercy. And to demonstrate God's mercy, firstly, therefore, I am elected through Jesus Christ by sheer grace. Beginning with God in any conversation is a good place to start. Surely we have heard of the covenant of redemption. You're not going to find the term in Scripture, just like you're not going to find the term Trinity. But Psalm 2 depicts Christ relating the terms of the covenant that the Father had established with him. Isaiah 53, 10, and tw- 10 to 12 also speaks of the covenantal agreement between the Father and the Son in the accomplishing of redemption. And Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14 gives a Trinitarian picture of the roles that each person of the Godhead undertook from eternity to perform. And if you need more scripture to understand how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate in regards to your salvation, just read John's Gospel. There, Jesus repeatedly speaks of the work that the Father gave him to do, the glorious reward that he was promised, and the sending of the Spirit to apply the benefits of his redemption and bring about, in fact, the promised reward of a redeemed people that was merited by the Son's unerring obedience to the Father. The covenant of redemption Thus we understand to have taken place as the confession begins before the foundation of the world. And this is significant because it takes away the popular idea that God looked out over time, saw humanity's ability to self-redeem, and then added those names to the book of life. And I will say just to keep his own reputation clean before humanity. What a joke What foolishness. Before humanity was created flesh and blood from the dust of the earth, before God spoke, let there be light. Genesis 1-3, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit covenanted together, designed redemptive history, including its glorious and coming conclusion. There was nothing we did to warrant such Decrees. Our confession continues by sheer grace, by sheer unmerited favor unto himself, the Lord God Almighty chose to save some. But why not all? Some have asked if God's glory is seen through salvation, why not save all? My only response, having been called by God to be faithful to his word, is simply this. God's glory is seen to the utmost in saving some. The confession continues according to the free good pleasure of his will. His will was the deciding factor in your salvation. We cannot know his will fully, but we are called to submit to it. 
There are things we can know about his will. His son Jesus Christ coming in the form of a servant, Philippians 2, is one of those things. Ultimately, why his glory is most clearly seen through saving only some has not been fully revealed to us. And thus, we need to admit that God knows what we don't know. Perhaps that's part of it. If you're not familiar with Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, be familiar with it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. It was, as Article 7 of the Canon's first main point of doctrine says, before the foundation of the world, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, that he chose in Christ to to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race which had fallen by its own fault from its original innocence into sin and ruin. I read the confession. And along with Paul having just outlined the order of salvation in the preceding verses of our passage today, verses 28 to 30, having declared and admired God's complete and foreordained purposes, particularly in regards to our own salvation. He continues on at verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Dear believer, dear tired and distraught, Believer, dear, broken-hearted, beat down, frustrated, sorrowful believer. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You already know the sin within We've already talked about that. You have already confessed your sins before God. And having confessed them, you have shown your desperate need for a response to God's law. Deeper than your own. Purer than your own. A response of perfection that is simply unmeetable on your own. In such a light, having professed your shortcomings before God already, Paul says at verse 33, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God already already knows your sins. Children, each one of them, he already knows. And out of sheer grace... He loves us anyways and sends his son to redeem us from our sins. Secondly, I am elected through Jesus Christ out of common misery. Now we level the playing field a little here. I had stated earlier that God did not look out over time and view our good works. And then because of a passing grade, as it were, add names to the book of life. God is not a spiritual forensic accountant. Would we think such things? We make the works of humanity stand out and make God out as someone who can only respond to us. 
being gods unto ourselves. In this, since the fall, humanity has remained consistent. Obedience has remained a lost concept amongst us. Being a god unto one's own self has been the norm ever since the fall at Eden. You know, I find it fascinating always how traits can translate from one generation to the next. Sometimes the traits of the dad can be more clearly seen, and sometimes the traits of the mom can be more clearly seen, and sometimes it depends on who you talk to that determines which traits can be more clearly seen. But in most cases, it is undeniably clear whose parents are the children that are born to us. Lamentably, sin works the very same way. Of every trait that we could list from physical traits to mental traits to emotional traits, we could spend the rest of the message this evening, the rest of the day, even breaking down these to their finite measurements and then grading them amongst us. Of every trait we could list, there is only one. There is only one that remains consistently even amongst us. That trait, our confession, calls common misery. Common misery. Now perhaps we want to say that some sin more than others and that some sin less than others. I don't disagree. But every mark against us from the greatest to the least stems from this trait earned for us at creation when Adam and Eve consumed the fruit of the tree which from which they were commanded not to. Considering the perfection that we are to have before the righteous almighty God, common misery cannot stand before him, and thus there is no one righteous, no, not one. It is from this one race, fully fallen in Adam, It is from that race from which God redeems. Our confession continues, Those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than others, but lay with them in the common misery of humanity, that is, of each one of us. From Adam forward, born of Eve and beyond, there had been no one, not one of us, from Adam to when Christ returns who qualifies for redemption in and of themselves. This too was God's plan. Children, do you know what we would miss out on if God did make it possible for us through good works to get into heaven? We would miss out on knowing Jesus Christ and the promise of the Holy Spirit. A gift so much more worth our good works than our good works. The Father in his grace filled and infinite knowledge and will wanted us to get to know his Son. And wanted to give the promise of the Holy Spirit to work in us what Jesus Christ has done for us. Our confession continues. He did this in Christ whom he also appointed from eternity to be the mediator, the head of all those chosen and the foundation of their salvation. 
so important was it that we know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their Trinitarian perfection, that the Father willed your salvation fully through the life and death of his Son, that the Son fulfilled your salvation fully through his life and death, and that the Holy Spirit instills your salvation fully through the life and death of Jesus Christ. And there are so many But at least two reasons why, dear believer. And those reasons are for his glory. And out of love for you. It is as if Paul is laughing now at verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. What a profound mockery to the sufferings of Jesus Christ to think that God would require additionally any other work of ours to complete salvation. What a profound disrespect shown to the Holy Spirit to think that our salvation is in some way sufficient And in some way not needing his, at times, silent whispers of Christ towards our broken hearts and our broken bodies. Jesus doesn't save half-saved people. He comes to a fully condemned race, well aware of their common misery, and draws, as it were, from that self-inflicted prison, convicts unto himself. These are the ones the Father had chosen, and Jesus recognizes them because the Holy Spirit has been assigned to make them look Christ-like. There are so many ways to describe how God redeems. None of these ways, none of our ways are fully descriptive. The best way is to always begin with God and then with him looking towards our common misery. And then the Trinitarian power with which he draws us out. Paul continues at verse Verses 35 and 36, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Well then thirdly, I am elected through Jesus Christ to demonstrate God's mercy. Now, if you've gotten the sense that there is no way for humanity on its own to remove itself from its state of common misery, then I have done my job this evening. If you understand that we did this to ourselves and that from it there is no coming back on our own, then you have understood Scripture correctly. If you have thought that God's glory is not properly served when thinking we deserve something else other than the knowledge of good and evil has given us, which is cursed death, 
then you are in a good position now to receive the third point of our message. Now that we have understood that humanity is unable, we can call upon the God who is, and who does so without humanity's needless help. It was ordained before the fall and before time that humanity would fall into condemnation. At that moment in eternity, the decision was made that God's Son would be for his people all things. We talk today about how we cannot be all things to all people. Jesus Christ is all things to all people. Even if the reprobate won't admit it. Our confession continues. And so he that is the father decided to give the chosen ones to Christ to be saved. And having mentioned earlier the order of salvation present in scripture just before our passage. Hear it now. Romans 8. 28 to 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. And how does he do it? Again, we need not look into our own hearts, but into the heart and mind of God if we can. It was his decision, as our confession states, to call and to draw them effectively into Christ's fellowship through his word and spirit. And when the Lord God Almighty decided to do that, the order of salvation professed by Paul at Romans 8, 28-30 becomes our history then of salvation. It is mightily worked out over time in each one of us called according to his good pleasure. In other words says our confession. He decided to grant them true faith in Christ, to justify them, to sanctify them, and finally, after powerfully preserving them in the fellowship of his Son, to glorify them. And now we come to the why. And it's primarily not about you. And it's primarily not about me. And yet Christ's own are drawn unto him through God's revelation of himself to us. In other words, through the history of our salvation, the glory of God is put on display. And we thus are made to see him more clearly. Moses wished, didn't he, children? Moses wished to see God face to face. And even Moses was not allowed at that time, Exodus 33.20. But in the fullness of time, the Son of God himself walked amongst us as a man does with his friend. And it was through his life, and then his death, that we are saved. For from that death, the Holy Spirit raised him and shall raise you because you know the Christ as your king and you go where your king goes. 
God did all this, says our confession, in order to demonstrate his mercy to the praise of the riches of his glorious grace, primarily, primarily. It is of his mercy, born of his love for you, dear repentant sinner, that you have your salvation. Hear the words of the Lord spoken before Moses at Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. Hear the psalmist at Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion or mercy and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. And then hear Peter at 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. But is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you are then persuaded that it is not you, but Christ that saves you, then you are in good company with the body of believers here. And with Paul himself, as the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write the closing verses of our passage today. Verses 37 to 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us think just for a moment of the Lord's table, Lord's Supper. Before we partake, we profess. Have you made such a profession and declaration that is worthy of the supper? And remember, this is a table of communion. The saints, plural, have gathered. Have you heard the profession of those that you partake with? It is a rightful first love to the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it is also a vital second to love your neighbor as yourself when you partake. Such is practiced here with your profession amongst us and before us. Such reflects upon the profession of God's people of every age looking to Christ together as our Savior. All such things demonstrate God's mercy towards us. Brothers and sisters, when you speak a gospel-centered conversation with anyone, you don't begin with election. You begin with humanity's inability and unwillingness 
to come back to God and then you can move on to the fact that God saves anyways. Only then can you declare in fullness and in truth that you are elected through Jesus Christ by sheer grace out of common misery and to demonstrate God's mercy.